Good morning, may it please the court. My name is Lisa Crum. I'm an assistant attorney general at the Minnesota Attorney General's Office. I'm here today representing the Minnesota Public Utilities Commission. The issue before the court today is whether the PUC has deprived Ottertail of transmission line revenues in violation of the filed rate doctrine. Revenues that Ottertail claims it would have been entitled to keep but for the PUC's order. The answer to this question is no. As a matter of well-established state retail rate making, Ottertail cannot carve out the BSAT costs and revenues from its rate case. FERC has determined that transmission lines used in providing bundled electric service at retail are subject to state retail rate making. This case falls squarely within the court's decision in Northern States Power versus MPUC, where the court found that the FERC rate must be accounted for as an expense in state rate making, and that the FERC rate itself does not set the state overall rate of return. That is exactly the case here. The holding in Northern can I, States Power. Can I just power. ask you a question? Um, so everybody keeps talking this case about uh, wholesale rates versus retail rates, but why isn't this about transmission and transmission rates? I mean, aren't those two separate things? I mean, the FER FERC has authority over transmission, and then separately it says it has authority over uh, wholesale rates. So why do we keep talking about wholesale rates here? This case is about a FERC tariff that sets you are correct, Your Honor, transmission rates for interstate MVP transmission lines. And I'm just looking at 824A, and it says uh, that federal regulation of matters related to generation, which is not this, and that part of such business, the utility business, transmitting and selling electricity, which consists of the transmission of electric energy and in interstate commerce. So that's one thing that FERC has exclusive jurisdiction over and the sale of such energy at wholesale interstate commerce, which seems to suggest that these are two different things. And so, so go ahead. The commission did not violate the filed rate doctrine by establishing a nine oh, I meant by go ahead and try to answer the question. All right, is that what you're doing? That's what I was doing. Okay. Um, by establishing the 9.41 retail rate of return the Court of Appeals failed to acknowledge the NSP holding and did not analyze the FERC uh, filed rate doctrine and the U.S. Supreme Court precedent. Did I respond to your question, Your Honor? I'm not sure, but you can keep going. From a public policy perspective, Ottertail cannot simply choose which transmission revenues to keep in a rate case and which transmission revenues to keep out. The impact would be enormous. There are 17 MVP projects in the MISO region that are subject to the FERC tariff, 38 owners, 30 million customers in the region. By allowing this exceptional carve out, the PUC's exclusive retail rate making under FPA is threatened and the commission's ability to protect the interests of Minnesota retail rate payers 
is severely compromised. Council, can you talk to, talk to us about preemption? I mean, it seems to me this case is about preemption. It's about conflict preemption. It's about whether the, if we comply with the state law, whether we're interfering with the federal objective. So can you address that issue? Why isn't the federal law dominant here? Because to comply with the state law interferes with the congressional objective. Let's be clear, Your Honor, the 13.8 million, that's the elephant in the room here, it's a margin of difference. It's the difference between the revenues that Ottertail is claiming they're entitled to under the 10.82 FERC rate and the revenues that the commission determined are appropriate under the 9.41 return in the state rate case. The standard for addressing this issue is set forth in Oneok versus Learjet and Hughes versus Talon. There must be record evidence that the state retail rate making process targeted the FERC approved rate as unreasonable and prevented the utility from fully recovering the federal rate through retail rates. This specifically means distinguishing between measures aimed directly at tariffed rates and those measures aimed at subjects left to the state to regulate. The Supreme Court cases that address this interplay between state and federal rate making all address costs. They address the FERC tariff as a cost. And the commission here accounted fully for that cost. Ottertail has indicated they spent $317 million on the BSAT lines. That those costs have been fully allocated to Ottertail. And FERC has said, not only does Ottertail get to recover those costs, they get to recover a 10.82% return on those costs. And the federal case law states that return, that ROE, the FERC ROE is to be recovered as an expense in a rate case. And that is what the commission did. Council, the Ottertail says that Hughes governs and it shows that the filed rate doctrine applies to revenues just like it applies to costs. Um, how, how is Hughes distinguishable? Your Honor, Hughes, Hughes addressed a program, a program for setting rates within a field that FERC has sole authority to govern. That case found that FERC is the sole rate setting authority for capacity sales in the PJM capacity auction. And that by adjusting those rates that were set by FERC, the Maryland program contravened the FPA's division of authority between the state and federal regulators. They found that FERC's rate had been disregarded. 
and it caused costs to be trapped. See, this is, this is the question that I started out with. So that Hughes is talking about they have this exclusive authority over the, that particular way of setting wholesale rates, right? Correct. But here, the statute also says that FERC has exclusive authority over transmission, everything having to do with interstate transmission. And it seems like what the PUC did here is undermine their decision about how they're going to build out new transmission. I mean, we're in a world here where you know, we're moving from a regulated market, right, where utilities historically have generated and transmitted and distributed to retail customers and wholesale customers, I suppose, retail customers, the energy. It's a singular system, a unitary system. And we're now in a world, not as much in Minnesota as other places, but certainly from a federal U.S. perspective, where it's deregulated, essentially, where one party can generate money. And even here in Minnesota, we have small operators generating you know, wind power and, and, uh, and solar power that they sell into the grid. And then other people who are you know, selling that at retail to customers. And so what FERC is doing here is saying in this new world, plus we have renewable energy out in the Dakotas and Montana that needs to get to Illinois, which is different than the world when they could just build a coal power plant right you know, outside of Chicago to, to, to do that. And so FERC is saying, within the control of our interstate commerce over transmission, we need to rethink how we do transmission. And so they created this program to provide incentives because there's uncertainty about allocating those costs, right? When you have multiple people involved in who's gonna buy into the transmission system. So why does this just not completely preempted under 824? Because FERC has control over exclusive jurisdiction over transmission, and that's exactly what this is about interstate transmission. I mean, these lines aren't even in Minnesota. Your Honor, in FERC's order establishing the um, incentivized rate, FERC specifically stated that whether the rate was established under Section 219 of the FPA, which incentivized this setting of this rate, or if it was set under Section 205, which would incorporate many other FERC tariffs, FERC indicated it was a rate being set. So that indicates that FERC intended that this rate be applied the same as other FERC rates. FERC would have had to, or Congress would have had to, in Section 219, state specifically that this incentivized rate will be treated differently than other rates because of the interplay between federal and state rate making. And clearly, it, didn't, it doesn't seem that Section 219 was intended to preempt this court's case in NSP or any of the US Supreme Court decisions or any of the other FERC orders that specifically allow the FERC rate to be passed through as an expense in a state retail rate case. Council, let's talk about Section 219, which is uh, eight, uh, 16 U.S. Code Section 824F. Am I right about that? That's okay. Right. It says that the rule, the, it, the, the commission is directed to promulgate a rule for the purpose of promoting capital investment, that's in subpart B1, and providing an attractive return on equity, that's in B2. What does the record tell us whether um, Minnesota's rate making 
using the all-in allocation method promotes or disincentivizes new investment? Is there anything in the record saying this, um, this delta of $13.8 million is gonna keep new investors out of the market for, tra for transmission projects? Anything in the record? Your Honor, the rate case record was fully developed under the practices of the commission. The commission considered all of the allocation evidence that was submitted and the commission found it compelling to rely on the, the company's JCOSS as noted in our... Um, Forgive me, counsel, I'm not sure you're answering my question. Is there anything in the record, one way or the other, about whether um, the non-recovery of $13 million by Ottertail is going to um, be a significant impediment to investment in future transmission projects? Is there anything in the record? It's kind of a yes or no. Your Honor, I'm sorry, I can't point to you to anything off the top of my head, but I would say that the commission is well aware of the filed rate doctrine. And so the commission itself, in the case the commission considers, would clearly never question the FERC rate itself. The commission is fully aware of the filed rate doctrine and the laws that apply to the FERC rate. So the intention of the commission would always be to follow the precedent that requires them to pass that cost through. Now the costs, the costs that were allocated in the rate case included not only the cost of the investment, but it included the 10.82%. So clearly Ottertail received a significant benefit in the rate case by not only being able to utilize that, that cost as an expense to offset revenues. Right, but, but also because of the all-in allocation method, it, it, it's worth 13 million or 13.8 million less than it would have been if it had been segregated, right? Your Honor, that is correct, that if the all-in approach for rate making had not been applied, that perhaps there would have been a 13.8 um, increase in the revenues that Ottertail would receive. And that gets to my question. Obstacle conflict preemption. You need somebody, the, the party arguing preemption needs to show it's an obstacle, which to me seems to be more than a speed bump. Was there anything in the, in the record saying that $13 million issue is, is a true obstacle to future investment? In other words, investors are gonna be, they're not gonna invest if we um, don't rule in favor of Ottertail power in this case. Your Honor, there's nothing in the record. Okay, I'll, I'll ask opposing counsel the same question, thank you. In this case. So is it true that, um, like I live in Minneapolis, Excel is my, Excel Energy is my utility and part of the MISO um, regional the system and so is it true that based on the order that the Commission did in this case that basically I'm in a small very small way of course subsidizing otter tail ratepayers because I'm paying in at this higher rate to reach this you know 10 point 10 plus percentage amount of money and now that money is being taken from that pool that went 
part of which went to Ottertail Power and is moving it to reduce the rates for Ottertail Power customers. So in some sense, am I subsidizing, subsidizing Ottertail retail customers? Your Honor, I guess I will try to answer that. I, um, honestly, your utility company, Excel Energy, I understand that, but is, also, is I, also building MVP lines. So FERC made the determination that all of the lines would carry the 10, well, they would all carry a 10.32, Ottertail has a 0.5 adder. So clearly, all of those costs are being paid by the rate payers, such as yourself and, and me. And in some sense, because they're, re but we're paying to get all of those MVP lines up to the 10.32%. And now Ottertail is not getting 10, but they're getting 13 million less than the 10.32, which basically reduces the rates of Ottertail customers. So I'm paying a rate that gets everybody on all these BC or all these MVP lines to 10.32, but Ottertail customers are taking some of the benefit of that to reduce their own internal rates within Ottertail's area, their retail customers. I mean, isn't that the practical implication here? And doesn't that go to disincentivizing people from investing this because it's gonna break down the whole kind of regional, the federal balance of how this is gonna get paid for overall? Your Honor, at first glance, that may be uh, a reasonable interpretation of the case. And in fact, that would be what Ottertail is trying to argue and convince you of here. But in fact, Ottertail is receiving their FERC incentive rate through their costs. Because when the commission, when the commission reviews Ottertail's company in, the rate, in a rate case, the commission is looking at the company's revenues. They're looking at the company's costs. So the rate that we're talking about is not a rate that was intended to apply to Ottertail's rate of return in the end of a state rate case. This rate was meant to count on the expense side in a rate case. So essentially, Ottertail would not expect to cover 10, recover 10.82% in revenues. They're apples and oranges because the 10.82% is applied on the expense side and that is passed through a rate case to benefit the company, clearly. But typically, in a, when you're paying for transmission, when someone's paying to access a transmission line, that individual utility and their customers are just gonna pay the whatever the rate is to get onto that transmission line. But here we've set up, a, the federal government set up a different kind of situation where they're not saying, because these are regionalized, I mean, I guess in some sense they're saying it, but they're not saying, it's not an individual utility to transmission owner, line owner transaction. They're saying we're gonna socialize these costs over every retail customer in the whole area, which I think is a very different approach to how you pay for transmission lines which means that we have a, a kind of a, under the federal jur exclusive jurisdiction over transmission. So it just seems like it's a, we're dealing in a different world here. We, we're, we're thinking about this in a world of 20 years ago when in fact what FERC is doing here over the last decade is kind of a whole new world of how kind of this interrelated transmission system works. And so, Maybe there's no question there. Can I just ask a statutory, a couple statutory questions? Mm -hmm. So 
in 216B16, uh, you have uh, subdivision 7B, you have um, notwithstanding any other provision of this chapter, the commission may approve a tariff mechanism for the automatic annual adjustment of charges for the Minnesota Minnesota jurisdictional costs net of associated revenue. So what, what is meant by Minnesota jurisdictional costs? Is that the cost to those ratepayers? The Minnesota jurisdictional costs is it's an allocation that divides up the um, Otter Tails retail services and Minnesota is 50% of Otter Tails retail services North Dakota and South Dakota make up the other 50%. So it's the cost that the Minnesota Otter, Otter Tail ratepayers would pay. Correct. And what does associated revenues mean? What does the word associated mean? Specifically in this case, it means the costs for the BSET lines <clears throat> and the revenues received from the BSET lines. So, but the cost to Otter Tail Power Minnesota is some, well, about half a percent of that 317 million or whatever it is, because they're paying the Minnesota share of 0.98%, right? So that's about half a percent of the overall cost. So what, what Ottertail ratepayers are paying is about half a percent of that cost. But what you're recovering is, it seems like the whole amount of that cost. And that's the part that I think is, 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 is challenging to me when you see the word associated costs. Am I misunderstanding that? So let me just clarify. You were indicating that. Well, so say, take, say it's 300 million just for easy, you know, just because it's easier for me. So the cost of these projects, and say it's just one project instead of two, and they're 100% owner, just to make it easier. So $300 million to build this transmission line. And under the way BSET is set, or the MVP is set up, Ottertail customers are paying about 1% of the cost of that $300 million because of the way that the costs are allocated under MVP, 0.98%. And presumably Minnesota customers are paying half of that because they're half of Ottertail Power's retail customer base. But even if we use the 1%, but what it seems like the commission is doing is they're, they're, they're there's the costs are about 1%, but they are recovering the whole $300 million, counting the whole $300 million. And so that just seems, like disproportional, right? Or am I totally misunderstanding how this works? Your Honor, I think it's, um, you know, the tricky part is that we're comparing a FERC system and with a state system. And as the, as the courts have recognized, they do overlap a little bit. And the question here today is, the commission has used the all-in approach in rate making. It's a long-standing practice. And it's necessary because we're trying to figure out what is a reasonable return for the company? What should the, what should the Minnesota ratepayers be on the hook for? But isn't FERC so, saying for this particular thing, there's a different reasonable rate for the company at 10.32%? And that's exactly right. But FERC has said, those rates are passed through as an expense. So the approach for rate making in Minnesota has not changed and FERC did not indicate and section 219 did not indicate a change to that, that interplay 
between federal rate making and state rate making. Council, Council uh, I could, I'm oh. going to go ahead, Justice. Okay. I want to come back to, and, and maybe this is a combination of all of the questions that have been, been asked here this morning. I'm trying to figure out how we determine whether something is an obstacle. And I, I'm back on just straight a straight preemption analysis. And it seems to me um, the case law suggests that we look at uh, the federal statute as a whole. We look at the purpose of the statute and, and its intended effects. But but we also look at, and this is a question I think, it seems to me the case law suggests that we also look at if whether or not what the state here in this instance is trying to do interferes with the method by which um, the federal statute was designed to reach its goal here. And the goal here, of course, is sort of incentivizing this investment. And it's, it, it seems to me that there's a strong argument that what the commission is doing is interfering with the method that FERC set up in this particular instance. And I think Justice Thiessen hit on it maybe a little bit in the sense that he talked about uh, socializing the costs. And it seems to me that's what FERC was trying to do, at least in part. So I guess I'm asking you to help me with what we look at to determine whether something is an obstacle. And two, isn't it an obstacle when, when the state system interferes with the method that FERC has in this instance set up? Thank you, Your Honor. In this case, based on what you've asked about analyzing the method that the state went about setting the rates. The commission... Well, I understand what the, how the state did it. I'm asking if that how the state did it seems to me to be very different than how FERC envisioned it was going to be done. And that difference ended up being 13.8 million in terms of, of what uh, Ottertail would have, would have realized, Ottertail shareholders would have realized. Your Honor, Section 219 would have had to detail that this FERC rate is to be treated different than other FERC rates. And what case says that? You said that earlier. How do I know that? Point me to the case that suggests that, that, that there had to be some, some specific um, statement to that effect. In Oneoke versus Learjet, and I might add, Your Honor, Hughes, Oneoke was decided in 2015. So Oneoke incorporates the standard set out in Nantahala and Mississippi Power, which is the standard, which was the standard of the law until Oneoke and Hughes. Hughes incorporated Oneoke's analysis. And Oneoke specifically says that preemption is warranted only if the matter falls clearly within the preempted field and where the state aim is at matters affecting retail rates, then the matter firmly is on the state side of the dividing line. Thank you, Council. Your red light's on. You have 10 minutes for rebuttal. Mr. Johnson.
Good morning. May it please the court and counsel. My name is Richard Johnson and I'm representing Otter Tail Power. With me today is Bruce Gerhardson from Otter Tail. Otter Tail requests this court affirm the Court of Appeals decision to preempt the PUC. The PUC is conflict preempted for two reasons. First, it conflicts with Congress's 2005 mandate to provide financial incentives for interstate transmission investment like Otter Tail's $317 million investment in this case. Second, it violates the well-established obligation of state PUCs to allow utilities to recover their FERC-approved rates and costs without interference. Council, let's kind of start at a high level on conflict preemption. Um, do you agree that um, states have traditionally occupied the field of retail rate regulation? They have within limits, Your Honor. Okay. And um, it's in a part of the state's historic police power. That is correct, Your Honor. Okay. And do you agree that there is no preemption unless it is the clear and manifest purpose of Congress? That is correct also, Your Honor. Okay. And uh, our court has recognized that preemption is generally disfavored. Do you uh, acknowledge that case law? I do, Your Honor. Okay. That, that was the case in NSP when you preempted the commission. All right. So um, I want to ask you the same question I asked opposing counsel. Um, it looks to me like the argument here is if there were pre if there is preemption, then Otter Tail recovers $68 million over a period of time. If there is not preemption, Otter Tail on that investment recovers only $44 million. I'm rounding, um, rounding, so about $44 million. So the delta is about $14 million. Correct. All right. Now, when you take a look at Section 219, which is 16 U.S. Code Section 824S, it says that the goal of, the, of Congress is to promote capital investment and provide a return on equity that attracts new investors. Is there anything in the record showing that if Otter Tail um, profits only 44 million instead of 68 million, then in the future that is going to undermine the promotion of capital investment and investors aren't going to invest in new investments? The answer is yes, Your Honor, but not perhaps in the way that you were formulating the question. Okay, tell, tell me what is in the record about that. The record, record that. is that for, Congress made a determination that an incentive in uh, ROE was appropriate. FERC followed Congress direction and set a total ROE of 10.82%. Those are federal determinations which are binding on the state. The state does not have the power to second guess that determination and require a higher level of proof of, in, of interference with incentive. In other words, specifically, the standard that you've articulated, which is, can you show me that this particular investment would not have been made at the lower ROE? The answer is no, nor could anyone else. If that was the standard of proof, Congress intent to provide an incentive, an additional incentive, would be frustrated. Okay, so where in the statute is Congress's clear and manifest intent to preempt the all-in allocation formula that the MPCPUC is using here? Section 219 establishes the obligation to allow a company to earn an incentive ROE. All-in allocation deliberately removes the difference between the 10.82% FERC found appropriate and instead substitutes the 9.41 preferred by the commission. That is clearly a reduction of the incentive 
and an interference with the incentive. So any reduction in the incentive, however minor, gets us to preemption? I don't know whether it would be, there would be, might be some marginal change that would have no effect. 1.5% or 1.4% is certainly not a trivial matter. It's a huge matter for investors. And forgive me for asking too many questions here, but in um, 219C, where it lays out the incentives, the statute says the commission shall ensure that any costs recoverable pursuant to the subsection may be recovered by such utility. Um, there's no question here that Ottertail got its costs back on its investment. That is not correct, Your Honor. Okay. Um, FERC determined that our cost of service included a return at 10.82%. We did not get that. We got a return at 9.41%. 1.4% of what Congress and FERC said we should get, we didn't get. So can I ask you about 216B2, some of the similar statutory questions? Yes. So the Minnesota jurisdictional costs, you do, would you agree with the opposing counsel that that's the cost of Ottertail Powers Minnesota ratepayers? Yes. And what do you make of the word associated revenues? Associated revenues has to be limited in, and be proximate to the cost that are being recovered. If you wanted to do a literal approach here, if the Minnesota customers are paying one half of, the, one half of a percent, the associated revenues would be one half of a percent. So one half of the 317 you can't go million. from a half percent touch to grabbing the entire revenue stream. And, and that's how you understand the word associated in that phrase? Yes, Your Honor. Uh, and I understand it that way in part because of just common sense. I mean, what would, how else would you measure it? But also the phrase a net of associated revenues was the last amendment to the statute. It was put in after the broader language had been added in 2008. The, uh, the limiting factor associated revenues was added in 2013. Clearly the legislature intended something and they clearly intended to limit that, that scope. And it was actually added in 2013 when they also, when the legislature also added the language that kind of would allow the recovery of the costs related to these MVP kind of projects, these that federal tariff correct, projects. Right. Um, and, um, and then you make an argument under uh, subdivision, well, s nine, so that allocates project costs appropriately between wholesale and retail customers. Can you explain that a little bit more? What I, I didn't quite get your argument, I don't think, in the briefs. That, that sort of feeds the same thing. The BSAT lines, the revenue we get for the BSAT lines come from 30 million customers spread over a 15 state region. Everybody except our own customers uh, would be considered wholesale customers. 99.5% uh, of our revenue comes from wholesale customers spread throughout the region. There is no policy basis for the commission to grab that revenue and reduce the amount of money that Minnesota ratepayers pay. Would you be okay if the commission grabbed the half a percent? That that the the, Your Honor, yes, that was the effect of our proposal. Okay. We, in effect, took out all the expenses, all the revenues, all the investment. By definition, that means that an expense we could have recovered from our customers, the one half percent, we offset with the revenues. And, um, and then just, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about 7B in general. And as I understand it, 
this came in part of as the CAP X 2020 proposal. And the idea was under typical recovery, utilities can't recover the costs of building these big transmission lines or other big facilities until they're actually operational. And what this provision, subdivision 7B, was about was to allow them to recover those costs as they're incurring the costs before they become operational. Is that? That is correct, Your Honor. And so the default position, so the commission argues that they can just impose upon you the decision to, uh, to go into TCRR. But the default position is if you choose not to go into TCRR, you are, then you can't recover any costs. With respect to the BSATs, that's correct, Your Honor. And were you, are you trying to recover any costs until those BSATs are operational? We are recovering them through the FERC rate. We are not including any of them in intrastate rates. Right, okay. Council, okay. let's, let me ask you about the Hampton line. Um, is the, is your client objecting to all in allocation with regards to the costs and revenues of the Hampton line? No, we are not, Your Honor. What's the principled reason why you're not objecting to costs there and you are objecting with regards to the BSAT? I don't know how to respond directly to the phrase principled reason. I can tell you that Something in law or logic? Logic I can give you. Okay. Uh, utilities But, but there's are, no legal distinction between the two, correct? The principles are the same. The, uh, the, uh, the logical reason we chose not to is because quite frankly, utilities are averse to litigation. Um, Otter Tail is no exception. We did not think the treatment with respect to the Hampton lines was appropriate. We did not appeal it as we have done in this case because the impact was such that we could absorb it. So if we were just talking about the Hampton line, would the all-in allocation be an obstacle uh, to federal will? It would have been an obstacle, but not particularly significant. So in de deciding whether something is an obstacle or just a speed bump, to choose a colloquial phrase, um, don't we need to look at the practical effect on the incentive and the investment? Well, that, Your Honor, that is the second guessing I was referring to earlier. Congress and FERC made an outright determination we want incentives at this level. They did not say we want incentives at this level, but only if you can demonstrate you wouldn't have made the investment otherwise. That singularity, that degree of specificity functionally undermines the entire process. At that point, no one will be able to say, well, I would not have made the investment if it had been 50 basis points. But if we rule in Otter Tail's favor, then it would affect the treatment of the Hampton line as well under all in allocation, correct? Your Honor, I'm sorry, I did not hear If we ruled part. in favor of Otter Tail in this case, it would necessarily affect the all in allocation as to the Hampton line. It would not, Your Honor. Um, from Otter Tail's perspective, that is a settled matter. Uh, we're not going to go back and undo a decision we accepted earlier. Is there any principal distinction between Otter Tail's investment in the lines we're talking about and XL Energy's investment in one of those lines? And I, I don't see XL Energy here. No, they're a utility that's 10 times as large as we are. Uh, the impact on them is proportionately much smaller. Um, they are not here probably for the same reason that Otter Tail didn't appeal earlier. You don't like a decision necessarily, but you don't litigate every decision you don't like. 
Council, what, what, is the, what is the standard of review that we use for preemption? De novo. And the standard of review for the statute? Uh, de novo. And it's those, that de novo standard, Your Honor, is backed up by the fact that all of the facts that establish the conflict are admitted in the order. There's no subtleties here. Does the, um, on the Hampton, the, the $26 million, you, you also make an argument in your brief about the fact that it was actually approved by the Minnesota PUC and it is in Minnesota and serves and was determined by the PUC to serve essentially Minnesota customers. Does that make a difference here? As a practical matter, it does, Your Honor. It was approved by the Minnesota Commission before the FERC then swept it into the MVP portfolio. Oh, it was before? Yes. I didn't really understand that. Approved it and then it got swept in. Um, that's another good reason for us to not fight over matters like that. And frankly, our investment there was largely proportional to our customers' use, or at least much closer than it is here. Can you, um, is this case really about wholesale rates or is it about transmission? And is that a meaningful distinction here? In this particular instance, the two are pretty much the same. Okay. Uh, the whole, it's, it's wholesale for us. Well, I mean, it's wholesale because uh, 99 and a half percent doesn't come up with the revenue doesn't come from our customers it comes from us selling to other utilities and they paying us but the incentive rate that was established was to establish transmission right directed specifically at transmission yes and that is a that. and that's a FERC exclusive jurisdiction that is correct I mean just honor. I'm thinking for preemption purposes that is correct your honor Council, how do you distinguish the Arkansas Power case, which says generally that state regulatory rate-setting institutions may look at the overall financial structure of the utility to determine uh, rates? Arkansas Power, Your Honor, was an interim rate decision, and the Arkansas court took great pains to say, nothing we're saying here says anything about permanent rates. What the Otter Tail holding was, was that the Otter Tail Public Utilities Commission was not compelled to immediately throw in additional FERC costs, or excuse me, MISO costs, FERC costs, before it, it conducted a full review. Yeah, I'm not talking about the Arkansas Federal District Court. I'm talking about the Eighth Circuit and the Arkansas Power Decision, where it said you can, rate setting agencies can take into account the financial structure. Uh, Your Honor, I was also talking about the Eighth Circuit decision and the Okay, you Circuit. said the Arkansas court, and so I... I apologize. Oh. I, excuse me, uh, bad choice of phrasing on my part. The Eighth Circuit went to decide the, the Arkansas The Circuit case. of which Arkansas is a part. Correct. Yeah. Oh. And could um, you finish your answer? I, I didn't catch the gist of it. Certainly, the, the court, especially in the context of interim rates, said you get to look at the whole picture, and there might have been something else that offset this, but we don't know. But once you get to permanent rates, you have to accept the FERC determination and put that into the intrastate rates that you recover. That did not happen here. So I, we, I think the primary distinction is first, the Arkansas Eighth Circuit decision uh, specifically limited itself to interim rates. This is a permanent rate case. What do you say to the PUC's argument that 50 per, and how should we consider this? 50% of the the um, the two BSAT lines here uh, of the transmission costs that MISO put in place and the revenues are related to Minnesota service. Um, they forgot the fact that the 
50% split applies only to 1%. They ignored the fact that 99.5% of our 99% for rounding purposes uh, stays in the whole, is in the wholesale transmission jurisdiction of FERC. So they, they applied the right split, they just applied it to the wrong numbers. Council, when I looked at the more recent Supreme Court cases like Hughes, it does seem like they talk about deliberately targeting, you know, when a state deliberately targets the higher FERC authorized rates. And I just don't see that here when the MPUC has applied the all-in to everything, you know, that it does. Well, Your, Your Honor, uh, we, there is, in fact, targeting here. Uh, the commission referred to the difference between what we get at 10.82 and what we get at 9.41 as regulatory arbitrage. That's a pejorative. That means that is an indication of hostility to that differential the commission then went forward and said, we're gonna fix this problem by imposing the 9.41 across the board. That's targeting within this meaning of one, one yoke. I'm not sure how to say that one. One okay, one yoke, I'm not sure which it is. And do you, do you think that Hughes is one of the better cases for your position? Hughes is a very strong case for our position, Your Honor, for two reasons. Number one, it in so many words, reaffirmed the vitality of Mississippi Power and Nantahala. And second, it clearly applied the same principles on the revenue side of the house, not just on the expense side of the house. But that seems to me to be such a different case where, you know, um, the state was really doing something that took, took on sort of the capacity auction, which everybody agreed that's FERC's, that's FERC's role. Here, it seems different to me. Your Honor, it is different. Uh, that was a case involving whether or not states could provide support to generation assets. Actually, the states have more authority to promote and regulate generation assets than they do transmission. We think it's a strong case nonetheless because it started with the same principles we're uh, dealing with and it applied it in a, admittedly a different area, but one that certainly doesn't undercut our position. Council, I didn't understand your targeting comment. Um, as I understand it, all in allocation has been used for quite some time and it's applied to all utilities in these circumstances, including in this particular instance, XL Energy. Um, what is it about the, commission, the commission's use of, of uh, the all in allocation formula that you consider targeted at outer tail power? Uh, well, it's not targeted at outer tail power, Your Honor. It is targeted at the FERC ROE. That's the targeting that uh, One Oak, One Oak, whatever it is, uh, says you can't do. They don't target an individual company. They target a decision that's a federal decision, and they say, we disagree with this, we're gonna change it, and that is explicitly what the commission Was the PUC did. using all-in allocation prior to the 2005 amendment that promulgated section 219? I do not know, but I have no reason to doubt that they were. Um, I may have covered most of what I wanted to say. Um, one point I would like to talk about is the effect of the commission's decision on the, 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 um, uh, 
the viability, if you will, or of how the uh, regional projects like the MVPs are supported. The Commission's decision would have the effect of reducing the support that is provided by Minnesota ratepayers. It's understandable that the Commission may want to do whatever it can to reduce the rates paid by Minnesota ratepayers, but the effect is to undercut the system, to destroy the socialization, if you will, of the costs. The Seventh Circuit spoke directly to the importance of having everyone pay their fair share, if you will, of all of the uh, investments in the MVP portfolio, even if a commission did not necessarily think that the, the portfolio was, was uh, uniformly useful. So the socialization is having Otter Tail's Minnesota ratepayers pay more so that the Otter Tail shareholders don't have, will get $14 million more, is that right? The, the, the socialization I'm referring to, Your Honor, or excuse me, the Seventh Circuit's position is that everyone has to pay their fair share. Ratepayers rate are not being burdened when they're paying their fair share of a regional investment. The fact that the investors want to keep the incentive is completely consistent with Congress' intent. If my incentive money is corrected to somebody else and given to them and taken from me, it's as though I never got the incentive in the first place. So the socialization, if there is one, is that as an XL customer, I'm subsidizing Ottertail Power under the PUC's position, Ottertail Power customers under the PUC decision. You and the other 30 million or whatever. 30 yeah. million customers, yes. They would be getting a free ride or a lesser, ride, a lesser cost, if you will. That's what the Seventh Circuit said we cannot allow to happen because if someone gets to back out of one piece of the support, everyone wants to do that and suddenly the support goes away. You know, the, the BSAT lines are almost a perfect fit for the incentives. I mean, let, let's think about this for a moment. Otter Tail made a $317 million investment of which its customers get 1% of the cost and usage. There is no way the $317 million could have been supported by Otter Tail's customers alone. Um, Otter Tail, is the, this investment is a very, very large investment for a very small utility. Otter Tail is the second smallest investor-owned utility in the country, and this is Otter Tail's second largest investment. This is exactly the sort of behavior that Congress wanted to promote. This is a poster case for why there are incentives. So can, can I just ask you, the, the half a percent or whatever, or 0.98% that Otter Tail has to pay into the MVP pool, are you recovering those costs? I, I, maybe you answered this before. Are you recovering those costs under your position now, or are you waiting until those lines get operational? Um, with respect to the BSATs, we are waiting. Okay, um, so you, which means that you're going in your base rate instead of the TCRR. Right. So you're um, consistent on that? Yes. Okay. Um, Your Honor, I don't think I have anything uh, useful to add at this point based on the conversation and our briefs. We would ask the court to affirm the Court of Appeals and preempt this part of the Commission's decision. Thank you, Counsel. Thank you. Uh, Ms. Crum, you have 10 minutes for rebuttal.
Thank you. To summarize, Your Honor, Section 219 mandated that an incentivized ROE be addressed by FERC. FERC set that ROE. And whether we call this a socialization or a 205, a compared to a 205 rate or a 219 rate, what we have is we have a rate that was set by FERC. Otter tail diminishes that importance by generalizing that it's a changed ROE, that the commission changed FERC's ROE. However, the commission did not change any ROE and did not target a FERC ROE. There was no arbitrage here, Your Honor. There are two different rates. The filed rate doctrine dictates that the commission recognize the 10.82%. The commission did that. Counsel, does the record tell us how long the all-in allocation method has been used by the MPUC? I apologize, Your Honor, I do not have that information, but I'd be happy to supplement that to the court. So we don't know, sitting here, whether when Congress passed Section 219 and FERC issued its order, whether it was legislating against the background or not against the background of the all-in allocation method used by Minnesota. Your Honor, I think I can safely say we do know that and that the commission was using the all-in approach prior to 219. And you think that FERC would look at each state's background legislative legislation when they could vary from state to state when they set their rate? Does that make any sense in, in as an interpretive matter? I'm sorry, could you repeat that yeah, question? Yeah, I mean, I, the argument seems to be that uh, FERC, we have to interpret FERC's rule that they adopted at a national level against the background rules of Minnesota, but also the background rules of Illinois and California and New York. Does it make sense that we would interpret those rules against the, interpret FERC's rule against those background rules that can vary state by state? Absolutely, Your Honor. Why? The FERC, because clearly as has been set in rule in FERC Order 888 and New York v. FERC, the, com the co state commissions have retail rate-making authority over utilities such as Ottertail Power. Ottertail Power is not a private business coming in here to make their case to receive more revenues. I guess what Otter I mean, I'm so, sorry. Yeah, so your argument is that you incorporated the higher rate but then you just took some of the benefit of that higher rate to, re to get down to the Minnesota rate. That's essentially the practical impact of what P the PUC did here. I think that would be correct, Your Honor. Okay, because so that you're not, so, but how is that honoring the higher rate for this specific thing? Because Ottertail had a cost. And when you do the rate making, you have your expenses and your revenues. Ottertail had a cost to build the lines. FERC incentivized the building and said, we're not just gonna allow you to recover that cost, we're gonna give you 10.82% on top of that cost. Right. That's an incentive for the utility to do that because now they have a, a much larger offset to their revenues. Exactly. And, right, and as, as, a re, as a regulated utility in the state of Minnesota. So your position is you that Ottertail Power, regardless of kind of whether there's other incentive rates out there, the PUC has to return that rate to the nine, whatever the 9.42, that's what they get regardless of anything else that's going on 
uh, uh, FERC rules that would say, well, maybe they should get more for this particular thing. And this is kind of your bundling argument. Got it. The, the commission does not unbundle. Um, Even though we live in a world where things are unbundled now? Maybe that hasn't caught up in Minnesota. Well, it certainly hasn't as much, <laughs> um, yes. and, and that is the position of the commission, Your Honors. But, but FERC lives in a world of unbundled when they adopted this rule, right? But FERC also recognizes that interplay with state retail rate cases, and the cases clearly identify in Entergy, in the Supreme Court case of Entergy, the court recognized that state rate making is critical. They recognized that getting the FERC rate right is critical to state rate making. Okay. Can I just ask you one thing more about the, T the subdivision 7B? I asked the opposing counsel. So the uh, 7B is, is kind of a, a change in how utilities can recover the costs of big projects, basically. Let them recover the costs as they're building them instead of waiting till they're operational. And the default is that you would wait till they're operational, which I think is the position Ottertail Power took in this case. And your position, though, is that the PUC has the authority to impose 7B on the utility, which essentially means your position is you can force the utility to require its ratepayers to pay those costs earlier than they otherwise would. Isn't that right? It just seems like a very counterintuitive argument against the background default rule of that you don't get to cover your 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 um, your costs of construction before a facility is operational. Your Honor, the TCRR is a tracker, and that's a tracker account that keeps it keeps track of the costs and the revenues. So that account, that's what the commission ordered the utility to do was to track the costs and the revenues in the TCRR. So they're not gonna collect those early before, they're not, the, the ratepayers aren't being charged those dollars. No. Okay. Council, I asked opposing counsel about the Arkansas Power case from the Eighth Circuit that talks about taking into account financial structure and in, in setting retail rates. Um, he distinguished that case on the ground that it was simply an interim rate issue. Um, I, I may be, not explaining it fully enough, but how, what do you think of his um, effort to distinguish the case and what do you think it stands for? Your Honor, Arkansas Power and Light is absolutely controlling here. Arkansas Power and Light recognizes that, that FERC rates need to be wholly accounted for in a rate case, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the outcome as was also stated in Northern States Power, that the outcome is going to be that particular wholesale rate. State commissions don't separate out revenues from expenses to be sure that a certain revenue matches a certain expense. So Arkansas Power is clearly on point here. And the FPA is clear that the states alone regulate state, electric, state sale of electricity. And while FERC has authority to set wholesale interstate rates for electricity, as we've seen clearly articulated in Hughes and Oneoke most recently, the Supreme Court has established the filed rate doctrine to help it define this boundary between FERC's authority on the one hand and state authority on the other. And we see a detailed discussion of that in Nantahala as well. Did the MPUC give full 
uh, credit to Otter Tail Power for all the costs that incurred in connection with these projects. Based did on it recognize the all the tariff. costs? Based on the FERC tariff, yes. And did it recognize all the revenues? Yes. So your position is that uh, that honors the FERC rate setting? Yes, it does, Your Honor. And there's no, there's no precedent for doing what Otter Tail's asking here. They're asking to, and as was stated earlier, to match up revenues with expenses. And so arguing that it, it's more reasonable if you have a cost of X to really just consider the revenues of well, What do you make of the argument though that 99.5% of these revenues are actually wholesale revenues because they're selling them to other utilities instead of to their own retail customers? I mean, isn't there something to be said about that? Your Honor, the evidence in the record shows that 99% of the revenues are retail revenues. That's evidence in the record, the, the um, jurisdictional cost of service study. 1% of the revenues are wholesale. But not to Otter Tail Power customers. Or 99% of the revenues, of the 99% the, the, of the, rev, the 317 million is for Otter Tail customers? 99, no, let me be clear. Yeah, we better be clear. 99% <laughs> of Otter Tail's revenues as a whole are retail revenues. So that's what the JCOS study was about. It wasn't specific to these BSAT lines. No. Okay, but as to these BSAT lines, 99.5% of the revenues are, are the costs of that at least, and the revenues coming are to be sold, are, is, is covered by, are really wholesale rates because they're not coming back, they're not being paid for by Otter Tail customers, retail customers, right? Only a half a percent of that 317 million is being paid by Otter Tail retail customers. If you're referring, yes, to the 0.98% that... And Minnesota Otter Tail customers is about half a percent. And so why isn't that not a compelling argument? Because by allowing a public utility, a rate-regulated public utility, to choose which costs and which revenues they will include in a rate case will have an enormous impact on ratepayers. Well, they're not choosing though, FERC is, right? No, because FERC recognizes the state retail rate making function. FERC's interest is setting that return on equity, that return that will incentivize the companies to build but it's up to the states to set those retail rates. And how do you get the 9.42%, I'm sorry, Chief. Okay, how do you get the 9.42%? Where does that number come from? That was the, um, the commission's determination for Otter Tail's whole rate case as right. to the return. Right, but why did they, do they get a different return than Excel? Yes. So how do, you, how do they settle on 9.42%? That would be, um, there's quite a volume of record evidence on how that number gets ultimately chosen. And part of that um, ultimate determination is a policy um, decision for the commission as well. Right, but so it's a policy commission that they're gonna move it down to 9.42% when they could have chosen 10.2% or they could have chosen 6%. It's, it, it, correct, it's, ba it's actually based substantially on comparative utilities and what a comparative utility 
is getting for a rate in a state setting. Hang on, Council Justice Chudich has a question and then Justice Lilhog. I think you've alluded to this a little bit, but I'm I'm interested in the practical effects if if uh, if we rule against the commission in this case. Your Honor, the practical effects would would actually implicate two different areas of rate setting. The first would be how does the commission treat a FERC rate? The filed rate doctrine says the commission treats a FERC rate as an expense. That's a, a well-established, long-applied uh, practice of the commission. It would also implicate this idea of carving out revenues based on the preference of a utility. It would, it would implicate what's more important the benefit to the shareholders or the benefit to the Minnesota ratepayers? I've got an arithmetic question. Um, Ottertail asked for a 9.8% increase in its rates, right? It asked for 9.8. Correct. The commission awarded 9.42. Um, what amount of that delta between 9.8 and 9.42 was on account of the $13.8 million that the commission considered? Your Honor, that might be an area that would be difficult for me to dive into. The commission balanced a lot of different factors. And as I noted, the commission weighed heavily um, what other companies in Otter Tail? Okay, so you just can't do the straight arithmetic calculation. Thank you, Council. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> Thank you, Council. Thanks to both Council for the help you provided to the court. In this case, this matter is submitted. We'll issue an opinion in due course. We're in recess. Thank you. Oh.